Well, we're looking at this passage in, in Isaiah 42, and it's what's been referred to by some as one of the servant songs, one of the servant songs. And there's four of these so-called servant songs in Isaiah. This is the first one. The next one is in chapter 49, verse 1 to 7, then chapter 50. And then the final servant song is in chapter 52 and goes into chapter 53 of Isaiah. And what they do is they, they tell us about this servant of the Lord. And it, and it tells us about who he is and what he has come to do. Now, this uh, chapter is placed in the book of Isaiah at a, at, at a, a place in the book where, where God is trying to comfort his people. Isaiah 40 begins with, comfort my people. And the historical background to what's happening here is uh, God is telling his people that they are going into exile, that they're going to be taken to a foreign country, to Babylon, and they're going to be there as captives. And it's in this part of the book, after God's given them all that bad news, it's in this part that God goes to comfort his people. And now, as Isaiah is addressing those who will be in the exile, he's speaking to those in the future who are going to be captives in a foreign land, and God is, 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 is trying to comfort them. And how does God do that? Well, before what we've just read, God promises he's going to bring them back to the land he, he has given them. He promises that he's going to forgive their sins and restore them, restore their relationship with him. And he's promised that he's going to do this through someone called, uh, someone who comes from the east and someone who comes from the north. And we know that this is Cyrus. And so God has given his people all these promises and he's trying to comfort them. And yet we see that, that, that he goes further in, in, in his effort to comfort them. And what he does in this chapter, yes, he said, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to send someone who will bring you back to the land. But he goes one step further. And now he tells them about this coming servant, this Messiah. And he comforts them by telling them, yes, Cyrus is coming, who's going to take you back to the land. But someone else is coming who is much greater than he is and who will do something far better, far greater for you and for the nations. And so God, in comforting his people, what he says is, he says, behold, my servant. Or we could say, behold, Jesus Christ. Look at him. Look upon him. Think about who he is and what, and what he will do and, and be comforted. And that's really what God is doing here for his people who are in exile, distraught, feel abandoned by God, afraid, what does God do? He says, look at my servant, look at Jesus, and trust in him. Now, God gives his people comfort to his people by telling them of the Messiah, and God's way of comforting his people hasn't changed. Today, God brings comfort to his people in the same way by saying, look at Jesus, behold him, think upon him, trust in him. And that's really what's going on here, and I don't really intend to do anything other than that this morning, than to just hold up Jesus from this chapter and just say, look at him, look at him, look at the servant of the Lord, and let us draw comfort from who he is and what he has done. Perhaps you're here this morning and you feel very far from God, or perhaps you feel distraught, perhaps you, you feel the weight of your sin, and you feel your unworthiness and your uncleanness, and you just need comfort or maybe you feel like you've been abandoned by the Lord 
Well, all of these feelings were what the people of Israel were feeling in exile. And God says, behold my servant. And well, that's what we must do this morning. Look to Christ. Now, Tim read for us, didn't he? As he prayed from the book of, from, from the book of, of Luke. And he referred to the road to Emmaus, where the Lord Jesus Christ, after he rose from the dead, he, he, he appeared to two of his disciples. And I didn't know that Tim was going to read that, but I, I was actually going to refer to that in my, in my introduction this morning. And the point I was going to refer to is, well, this is what Jesus himself does with those two disciples, isn't it? Those two disciples were distraught. They, they, they were on the road to Emmaus feeling uh, like they've been let down, like everything has, has gone wrong. And what does the Lord Jesus do? Well, he appears to them and he gives them a Bible study. And in that Bible study, he shows them about himself in the Scriptures, in the pages of the Bible. And what happens to them? Well, as Tim reminded us, it says their heart burned within them. They weren't merely comforted and uplifted, but their hearts were warmed. And that's what God is doing here with his people. He's showing them Jesus so they might be comforted. The Lord Jesus Christ did it on the road to Emmaus to those disciples. And that's what we intend to do here this morning. And in this chapter, we, 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 we have really two parts, two uh, aspects that, that, that are, are shown us about who Jesus is. Now, before we look at that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you my two points, if you like, about what I want us to see about Jesus. There's a question we must ask. Maybe you've already thought it. Maybe you thought I'm just, I was just going to ignore it, but I will address it. And it's this question. Well, how do we know that it's Jesus? How do we know that this is really speaking about Jesus? It was written 700 years, give or take, before Jesus was born. The name Jesus isn't actually written down here. God doesn't say, this is my Messiah. Elsewhere in the book of Isaiah, Israel is referred to as the servant of the Lord. Cyrus is called the servant of the Lord. So how do we know that this is speaking about Jesus? If you read different commentaries, that is, books that, that give the interpretation of the Bible, on this chapter, you get lots of different opinions. You've got some people who are very intelligent, but clearly don't believe the Bible, and they say, well, it's, well it must be uh, Israel or Cyrus or something like that. But Bible-believing Christians, we can be certain about who this is. And the reason we can be certain about who this is, is because the New Testament tells us. And the New Testament in Matthew chapter 12 quotes from this chapter and applies it to Jesus. And so we know, because the, this is the Word of God, that this is speaking about Jesus, because the New Testament gives us the God-inspired interpretation of the old. So we don't need to scratch our heads or think, who's this speaking about? The, God has told us. So we know it's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what does it tell us about him? Well, firstly, we see that Jesus is described, that we see his person, we see what he is like, who he is, and then secondly, we see Jesus' commission. We see what he came to do. We see the work of Christ. So there are two main points this morning. We see that Jesus is described. We see his person, who he is. And then we see Jesus is commissioned. And we see his work. What was it that he was sent to do? And so firstly then, we see that Jesus is described. We see the person of Christ, who he is. And in this section, we see that the Lord speaks of the servant. He speaks about the servant. And in the next section, we see that he speaks to the servant. But here he speaks about him. 
And we see three main points about the sermon, about the Lord Jesus Christ in this first section, which is verse 1 to verse 4. Here in verse 1 to verse 4, the first section, we see three main points about him. And the first is that Jesus is the Father's delight. He's the Father's delight. Look with me at verse 1. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I've, I've brought the wrong Bible with me today. You might have an NIV with you. I've got the New King James with me. But we'll, we'll muddle through. Verse 1 says this. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. In the NIV there, it says, here is my servant. In the New King James here, it says, behold. And, well, behold is a more literal translation. And it's really saying, look at him. God's presenting him to our view. And what's the first thing that God says about this one he's describing? Well, he's called the servant whom I uphold. And what does this tell us about Jesus, about the coming Savior? Well, he was coming at this time. Well, we learn that he, he, he was sent by the Father, and he came to do the Father's will. That's, that's what we learn about him first, isn't it? That he is a servant. He came to fulfill God's plan. He came to serve the Father. Now, this, of course, is speaking about Jesus in his uh, human nature, in his humanity. We know, as we celebrated Christmas, we were reminded, weren't we, that in Jesus, in the one person of Jesus Christ, there are two natures. He is truly God and truly man. And he, he, he is described as the servant as he is in his human nature, when he became a man in order to uh, bring us back to God. This is speaking about him taking on flesh. Now we know this is true because of Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. This is what it says about Jesus. It says this, it says, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And so God became a man. And here the Father refers to the Lord Jesus Christ as my servant. And the fact is, he really is the only one who could truly ever be called the servant of the Lord because he served the Lord in perfect obedience. He always did what pleased the Father and he always had a, an eye to the Father's glory. He didn't serve his own interests, but he, he came to glorify the Father. He was the servant of the Father, servant of the Lord. And he had a, a view for his glory alone. Well, what else do we learn about this coming one? Well, he is the servant whom the Lord upheld. The Lord strengthened him and sustained him. But we learn also that he is his elect one, which means that he is chosen by the Father. He was the one that the Father chose to fulfill his plan of redemption. We see in the pages of Scripture that the Bible refers to uh, God giving a people to the Son. We see elsewhere the Bible refers to Jesus Christ being foreordained before the foundation of the world. And so many people, many theologians reading these things in the Bible, they, they see that there was a plan in the, 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 that was... Uh, made um, among the members of the Trinity, um, among the three persons of the Godhead before the world was created. It's often called the covenant of redemption, where the Father chose a people for himself, and he gave them to the Son. And the Son came. He, he, he came in, in order to redeem them and purchase them with his blood. And then the Holy Spirit applies that salvation to them. And all of this was planned before the world was made. And 
we learn here that in that plan, the Lord Jesus Christ was the chosen one who was going to come and fulfill it, who was going to do what had been planned, who was going to bring redemption. God says, he is my elect one in whom my soul delights. In 1 Peter 2, 4, it says this. It says, coming to him as a living stone, indeed rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. That's who Jesus is, the one chosen by the Father to bring salvation to men. My elect one in whom my soul delights. And it's that that final phrase, in whom my soul delights, that we've really based this first part on. And here we learn that he is the one who always pleased the Father. He refers to the Lord Jesus Christ as the one in whom my soul delights. He, he delighted in him. In John chapter 4, we read this about Jesus. Jesus says this himself. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus had one priority, and that was to please the Father. And the Father said, he is one in whom my soul delights. He pleased him. He loved him with, with a greater love than, than, than we can imagine. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, God says this at the baptism of Jesus. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And just as a side note, before we look at what's said next, it should be encouraging to us as Christians, those of us who trust in Jesus as our Savior, to know that he is well-pleasing to the Father. And the reason is this, because if you believe in Jesus, the Bible tells us we've been justified. That means the righteousness of Jesus is counted as ours. And God accepts us on the behalf of Christ. And so if God is well-pleased with him, then we can have confidence to come to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, knowing that, that, that we stand trusting in his righteousness and his merit and what he has done in his perfections. We don't come to God in ourselves. We come to him in Christ. And how wonderful it is to know that he is the one in whom the Father delights. And so we can come boldly before the throne of grace, can't we? Because we come in the name of Jesus. And well, the Father loves the Son. What else does he say about him? Well, he says, I put my spirit upon him. And this is reminding us about what happened at the baptism of Jesus, where the spirit came down in the likeness of a dove and lighted upon Jesus, as it says in the AV, and uh, rested on him. And this reminds us that Jesus, in his humanity, was empowered by God the Spirit to fulfill what was, what was planned. He was God's anointed, God's prophet, priest, and king. And so that's what we see firstly about this servant, this one who was coming, that he was the Father's delight. What else do we see? Well, now we see something about his character and about how he would treat people. This one who was so exalted, as we've just seen, so wonderful, so amazing, yet he was gentle and lowly. And that's what we see next about this coming servant. He was the father's delight, but he was also gentle and lowly. Now, in case hearing about Jesus and his greatness, you were, in case you were tempted to say, well, 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 why would he ever be interested in someone like me? Well, now we're told that, that he is, is gentle and he is lowly. Now, firstly, we see in verse 2 that it says, He will not cry out nor lift his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Now, this is telling us that he, he, he wasn't argumentative. He, he wasn't like the, the military Messiah that the Jews wanted. They wanted someone who would come and kick up a fuss. But Jesus wasn't like that. He didn't come to cause an argument. He didn't come to stir up strife. 
You, you don't find him arguing with, with, with people at the gate. Rather, he came in, in gentleness. Now, 1 Peter 2 reminds us of this. It says, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. That's how Jesus Christ came, gentle and lowly. But next we see not only that, he, he, he didn't argue, he didn't cause trouble, but we see that he actually came to care for the weak. He will care for the weak. And this is what we see in verse 3. He says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. Now here we've got two metaphors that really describe people who are weak, people who are downtrodden, people who feel useless and insignificant, people who are overlooked by everybody else. And what we learn is that Jesus Christ will care for them. First, we see that it says, a bruised reed, he will not break. Now, this is referring to those who are weak and bruised. A bruised reed was useless. You couldn't use it for anything. It was broken and thrown to the side. But not so with Jesus. Those who are counted as nothing and useless, Jesus Jesus restores them, he heals them, he fixes them, he puts them right. And this is what is being uh, spoken about here, that he comes to restore. Now we see this in the Gospels, don't we? We see it with the woman who had the flow of blood. In the Gospels, we, in, Go in the Gospel of Luke, we, we read about this woman who, who had this hemorrhage for years. She was bleeding out. And if you know the Old Testament, it would mean that she was unclean ceremonially. She couldn't come into, the, into the, the, the temple. She couldn't be where people were. If you touched her, you became unclean as well. She was an outcast. And we, we learn that one day she broke all the rules and she came to Jesus. She shouldn't even have even been there. But she pushed away through the crowd, defiling everybody that she touched. And then she touched his, the hem of his garment. And Jesus turns around and he says, who touched me? And she's afraid now because she knows she's done everything wrong. She's broken all the rules. And Jesus, turning around, sees her. And this is what he says. He says, daughter, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. This is Jesus. This is who he is. God's elect one, chosen by the Father, yes, but gentle and lowly, came to heal and to restore a smoking flax he will not quench. That's referring about those who have little strength, like a, a candle that's about to blow out. It's smoking. It's about to snuff out. And Jesus, what does he do? Well, he gives strength. He gives grace. This is referring to those who have got little faith, little strength. Maybe that's you this morning. You feel you've got so small faith. You're holding on by your fingertips. Well, Jesus won't quench you. He won't snuff you out. He will give you grace. He will strengthen you. He will nourish you. He will increase your faith. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is who Jesus is. He will not snuff out a, a smoking flax, a smoldering wick. But he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Now, we have another example of this in the Gospel of John, don't we? With that woman caught in adultery, an outcast again. She came to draw water in the heat of the day because she knew that nobody else would be there. 
because nobody's that stupid to draw water from the well when it's boiling hot. But, so she went when nobody else was there because she was an outcast. She was ashamed. Everybody knew about her past. She was immoral. She'd had so many husbands. And the man she was now living with wasn't even her husband. And yet, what does Jesus do? Well, he knows all about her. He knew her better than he knew herself. But he picked her out so that she would be the first Samaritan to know that he was the Messiah. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoking flax, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So we see that he's the Father's delight. We see that he's gentle and lowly. What else do we learn about him? Well, we learn in verse 4 that he was determined to bring salvation. He was determined to bring salvation. It says there in verse 4, he will not fail nor be discouraged. Now, there was lots to, to discourage the Lord Jesus, wasn't there? Read through the Gospels. One minute, everybody loved him. The next minute, they wanted to stone him to death. He was coming into the city. They were crying out, Hosanna in the highest. The next minute, they were shouting, crucify him. Sure, he had lots to discourage him, but he would not fail and he would not be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his law. He was determined to bring salvation to the nations. When it says that he would, here in, 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 in this translation, it says he, he will establish justice in the earth. That's referring to God's rule and reign. He would establish God's rule among all nations. In other words, those who there'll be people in all nations who will submit to God, who will own him as their king and lord, and will submit to his judgments and his rules, and they will look to Christ for salvation. And then it says the coastlands will wait for his law, for his instruction, for his teaching. And it's interesting that this verse is quoted in Acts chapter 13, and it gives us an interpretation of it. What, what, it, what, what does it mean when it says that his, he will establish justice in the earth or that he will bring uh, his law to the coastlands. What does that mean? Well, in Acts 13, 47, it's quoted by the Apostle Paul. It's paraphrased slightly, but it says really that he will bring salvation to all the world. And that's what it's being spoken about. He will rescue people from their sin and from judgment and from hell, from their separation from God, and he will give them eternal life. He will bring salvation. He will save them from their sins. And he will bring them to God, all those who believe in him. And so the Lord says to his people, he says, behold my servant. And the whole point is he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to comfort them. And this is, this is, this is why we have it recorded for us today, so that we can draw comfort from what is written. Maybe you're here this morning and you are weary. Maybe you are like a, a broken reed. Maybe you feel like a, 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 a smoldering wick. Well, Look at Jesus and come to him. He, he will not uh, break you. He will fix you. He will heal you. He will restore you. He offers you peace and life and grace and love and restoration. He says he'll forgive your sins and bring you to God. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like that. You feel weary. You feel like you're, you're, like you're at the end of your rope. Well, come to him who is gentle and lowly and look to him for grace and for forgiveness. And cast your burdens upon him, for he cares for you. Maybe you've got little faith this morning, and you are like that, that uh, smoldering wick. You're about to go out, and you don't understand it. You don't get it. Why has this happened? Why are these things happening to me? Well, look to Christ. Here is one who endured suffering like we have, who, 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 who can identify with all you're going through. 
and he will sustain you. He will strengthen you. Look to him. His shoulders are broad enough to carry all your burdens. Cast them on him. Look to him for grace. Maybe you're here this morning and you know you sin and you know you're filthy in God's sight and you know you deserve hell and you've let him down again. Well, look to Christ. Here is one who always pleased the Father, who is the Father's delight, and he offers you his righteousness. He offers you his forgiveness. Look to him. Behold my servant, the Lord says, and trust in him. Have you done that? Are you doing that? Well, this is what we see about Jesus. He is described. He is the Lord's servant. He is the Father's delight. We've seen him spoken of. Now we see him spoken to. Now we see Jesus' commission. He's been described by the Father. Now we see what it is that he came to do. And this is our final part, <coughs> verses 5 to 9. The Father was speaking to the Son, sorry, speaking of the Son, speaking about him. Now he speaks to him. Now the Father addresses the Son. And we see what it is that Jesus came to do. In verse 5 and in verse 8, we see that God, the Lord, tells us some things about himself. And then in the middle of those two verses, we find the Lord Jesus' commission. What, what is it that he came to do? It's like the Lord bookends the commission of Christ with two declarations about himself. We see that Yahweh is the almighty creator in verse 5. And then we see in verse 8 that he is a God who is jealous for his glory. He will not give his glory to idols. And it's in the midst of those two declarations about himself, in the middle of that, that we learn what it was that Jesus Christ has come to do. We see his commission. And what we see firstly in verse 6 is that he was sent by the Lord. It says there in verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. He was sent by the Father. Again, this goes back to the, what, we, what we call the covenant of redemption, that the Father planned to send the Son, and the Son uh, planned to come and, and redeem sinners. And so he was sent by the Lord. He says, I have called you in righteousness. Not only that, but he was upheld and kept by the Father. He was sustained. We need to understand, although that Jesus Christ was fully God, he was also a true man and he lived as a man and he got tired as a man and he had to sleep in the boat as a man and he got hungry as a man. And so as a man, he was upheld and kept by the Father. The Father never abandoned him. He always sustained him and strengthened him. We see an account of this, don't we, when Jesus was tempted by the devil in Matthew 4. And then the angels came and ministered unto him. That was the Father upholding the Son as he had taken upon himself a human nature. He was upheld and kept by the Father. So we see he was sent by the Lord. We see next that he comes to save. He comes to save. And what the Lord says to the, the Lord Jesus Christ here... He says, I will give you as a covenant to the people. In the NIV it says, I will make you to be a covenant for the people. Now what does that mean? Well, it means this, that, 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 that everything that, that is needed for you and I to know God for ourselves, all of it was accomplished and fulfilled and done by Jesus. The only way that we can know God for ourselves is if God chooses to enter into a covenant with us because of our sin we we have we have forfeited our right to God and the only way we you and I can know God is if he decides in grace to make a covenant with us to to bring us to himself 
And here we learn how he has done that and who he has done that through and in. And it's in Jesus Christ. Jesus has been given as a covenant. In other words, all of the, the, the requirements for us to know God, all of the, the covenant stipulations, if you like, everything that had to be fulfilled before we could know God for ourselves, all of that was done by Jesus. He fulfilled it all. He lived that perfect life, which we have never done. He always did what pleased the Father. And then he, he, he died on the cross to pay for our sins, that atoning death, that, that, that sacrifice that, that, that must be made, that payment that must be paid in order for us to be forgiven. He paid it in full. He paid for our sins on the cross. He took the punishment that we deserve. And then he rose from the dead. And, and he, it says in Matthew 24, that the new covenant is... Is, is made in his blood. He says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. And so now, by faith in Jesus, we receive all of the blessings, all of the, the benefits of the new covenant by faith in him. Forgiveness of sins, peace with God, eternal life. And all of this is in Jesus. He's been made a, as, as a covenant for us, given for us. And when we're united to him by faith, we're, we're brought into a covenant relationship with God. We know him for ourselves. And it's all based on Jesus. He has been given as a covenant for us. Not only that, but it says that he was given as a light to the Gentiles. And now that's good news for us this morning. Unless you're a Jew here this morning, you're a Gentile. And at this time, the Gentiles weren't God's people. They, if you wanted to, to, to become a a child of God in at this time, you had to become a Jew, you had to be circumcised, you had to join the nation. But God was speaking here of, of, of the servant who would come and bring light to the Gentiles, bring salvation to you who, who are here in England. And, and this is what Jesus Christ came to do, to bring light, to take away spiritual darkness and to bring us to God. It says at the end of, of verse 7 that he would open blind eyes, he would bring prisoners out of prison, and those who sit in darkness from the prison house. He would take us from the, the, the spiritual darkness we were in, cut off from God, dead in our sin, on the way to hell. And he would bring us to know God. He would bring light and salvation and forgiveness of sins. Well, this is what Jesus Christ has done. And he's accomplished full redemption for those who trust in him. He's been given as a covenant, as a covenant for the people. And if you trust in Jesus Christ for yourself, you need to know that everything has been done. It is finished. He has fulfilled everything that had to be fulfilled. He's done it all. And what we must do is simply trust in the person and work of Jesus. Trust in his blood and righteousness. That he has done enough and he is enough and he is sufficient. And so we must uh, trust in him. Look away from our good works. Look away from our uh, religious deeds and look to Christ. The one who has been given as a covenant for us. Have you done that? Are you trusting in him? Is he your covenant head? Is he your savior? Well, he needs to be. He's the only one who has been given as a covenant. And if you are without Jesus, well, you're, you're far from God. You, you don't know God and you won't know God for as long as you're away from Jesus because he's the one who was sent to bring us to know the Father. Well, God says here, behold my servant, look to him. And the knowledge of the coming Messiah was, was there to comfort God's people, those who were in exile, those who were downtrodden, afraid. Now today we can say the Savior has come. Jesus has come. The servant who was predicted here 
700 years before he came, well, he's come, hasn't he? And we know who he is, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we, too, can draw comfort from, from looking to him, not just looking at him, but looking to him as our saviour. Here we have one who is the Father's delight, who is gentle and lowly, and who was determined to bring salvation. He was given as a covenant for the people and as a light to the Gentiles. And we need to trust in him. We don't just need to look at him, but we need to look to him. Elsewhere in Isaiah, God says this. He says, look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. And we need to look to Christ today. If you haven't done that, then you need to. And if you are doing that, well, keep beholding Christ. Wherever you're, whatever you're going through today, Jesus Christ is enough. He's gentle and lowly, and he will sustain you and support you in all you're going through.